Good morning, and may it please the court. My name is John Donovan, and I'm an assistant state public defender, and I represent the appellant in this case, Misty Roy. Ms. Roy was on probation with Beltrami County, and while on probation, she committed new offenses on the Red Lake Reservation. She was convicted of these offenses and served her sentence at the Red Lake Detention Center. When her Minnesota sentence was later imposed and then executed, she did not receive any credit against her Minnesota sentence for this time spent. Counsel, I, I had just a couple of preliminary factual questions I, I wanted to ask you. Do we know whether there was a hold by Beltrami County uh, on uh, Ms. Roy when she was in the Red Lake Detention Center? It seems from the sentencing transcript that there was a hold. I couldn't find anything in the, the record or any sort of um, governor's warrant issued or any extradition proceeding, but it appears that there was a hold as they acknowledge at sentencing. And um, we do know that she did not ask um, when her probation uh, was revoked, she didn't ask to serve the Minnesota sentence at the same time she was in the Red Lake, as we've seen in some of the cases. Is that correct? That's correct, but her Red Lake sentence was already completed at that time. By the time that the probation got revoked? Yes. Oh, I thought that happened in, in July. No. Uh, at that probation revocation hearing that was held in uh, November, I believe, 21st of 2017, that was that first hearing, and they didn't actually have any sort of probation revocation hearing. Ms. Roy requested that her sentence be imposed and executed at that time. Okay. Thank you. Now, Ms. Roy, as I said, did not receive any credit at that hearing. But a non-Indian probationer who committed the same acts at the same time and in the same location as Ms. Roy would have received credit against his Minnesota sentence. Now, Counsel, can you um, tell me what effect or impact Public Law 280 would have on this? Public Law 280, the effect of Public Law 280 is that Red Lake has jurisdiction over Ms. Roy and the state of Minnesota for those offenses committed on the Red Lake Reservation, Minnesota has no jurisdiction over those. Just Red Lake has jurisdiction over those offenses. Does that have an impact in, because I think it might be different if you were talking about one of the other reservations that would have concurrent jurisdiction as a result of Public Law 280. So what impact do you see between the difference between, let's say, Red Lake, which has exclusive, and White Earth that has concurrent? My understanding is if Ms. Roy had committed these offenses on, the, on White Earth, I believe, the state of Minnesota still would have had criminal jurisdiction over her to be prosecuting these offenses. And in that respect, she would have been treated just like any other Minnesota probationer. But because it's Red Lake, Minnesota didn't give her any credit against that sentence that she sure served for those offenses on the reservation. Does that argue for, a res for the opposite result, though? I mean, uh, I'm just wondering if we aren't looking at treating uh, Red Lake in this context as we would Wisconsin or Michigan or something. And how does that affect the analysis? We're not asking that Ms. Roy be, be treated like Wisconsin. We're actually asking that we treat the Red Lake sentences like a federal sentence. If you are in custody, in federal custody, as we know from State v. Wakefield, um, if you have that federal sentence and then there is a state sentence imposed, unless the court says otherwise, that sentence is concurrent. So we're actually asking that Red Lake be treated the same as the federal government. Um, there's a, a little bit of talk in the briefs about intra and inter-jurisdictional rules. I think those are misnomers. 
Um, if we look at other states, no, you don't necessarily get credit for those. If you're in state, you do, but if you're in federal custody and then you have a state sentence imposed and executed, you get credit for that. So we're actually asking that we treat Ms. Roy the same, or, I'm sorry, Red Lake sentences the same as federal sentences. Although counsel, when you look at Wakefield, Wakefield really isn't a custody credit case. Wakefield is about, as is the, the Jennings case that you cite, Wakefield is about concurrent versus consecutive sentencing. And those are related concepts, but it Wakefield says nothing about whether or not you get custody credit at all. It's about whether or not, as you say, uh, those sentences should have been, the, the Minnesota sentence should have been run consecutive, concurrent to the federal sentence, which we said it should have. But, but it wasn't about custody. No, but at the end of the day, the effect is the same. While they might have been talking about the sentence should run concurrent, it's essentially the same thing. You're getting credit against a Minnesota sentence for time that you have spent in another sovereign's detention center. There's no application in Wakefield of our general custody credit jurisprudence. I mean, there's there's a whole you know line of cases talking about the factors that we're to consider, particularly in an interstate situation, which is what this is, um, Wakefield says nothing about any of that. So where does that fall for us? I would, I would disagree on, on both points. One, I don't think that we're talking about an interstate case in this regard. This is sort of an entirely different sovereign than a state. But more importantly, while they might not have cited those principles that, that this court looks at for jail credit, the bedrock is there. They are examining fairness. They're not going you know, out of the way to say, these are the factors we consider. But the element of fairness is there, which is why in Wakefield this court said, you know, if you're getting these two sentences, it's desirable that you should be getting credit for that. We know we have another case called Peterson where it was the reverse. I guess, counsel, what I'm concerned about is, and you seem to be giving it, giving it short shrift, is as you acknowledged with Justice McKagan, Justice Anderson, I mean, Red Lake is a sovereign nation. It is the equivalent, if not another nation, certainly another state. It is like Wisconsin or Michigan or somewhere else because Minnesota has no jurisdiction over the Red Lake uh, uh, nation. And what you're asking us to do, it, it seems to me, is to create an exception of some sort that, that I, I'm just concerned about where that leads us. If we say that, that Ms. Roy is entitled to jail credit here, um, it just seems to me we, we've opened a door a little bit in terms of our sovereignty jurisprudence, and I'm, I'm questioning the wisdom of that. I think that there is another sort of distinguishing factor about Red Lake, which is that it's not another state, it's almost more akin to the federal government, if only because there are places that the federal government has jurisdiction within Minnesota. Um, you know, you can have a federal enclave where there's federal jurisdiction in Minnesota. But more importantly, in, it is different from a state because if myself and Ms. Roy went to East Lansing, Michigan, and we committed an offense there, Ms. Roy and I would both be subject to Michigan's jurisdiction. Michigan could convict and sentence us both for that conduct. But if Ms. Roy and I commit the same offenses on Red Lake, Red Lake cannot prosecute me for that. Red Lake can only prosecute Ms. Roy. And that's a, a very large difference in this case from treating it like another interstate case. 
So because of that difference, it is. Could the federal government prosecute you under those same circumstances? I'm sorry. I, I, Could the federal government prosecute you under the same circumstances? It gets a little tricky. I think it would depend on the type of crime that I committed. But the federal government, you know, if it was a more major crime, the federal government could prosecute me. But then the difference is we sort of come back to Wakefield. If I got convicted by the federal government, the federal government imposed a sentence, I served that sentence, and then, or while I was serving, I asked Minnesota, where I'm on probation, will you please impose and now execute my sentence? I'm filing my Randolph motion. When they did that, I would get credit. It would run concurrent with that federal sentence. Uh, Council, do you know if there is anything in the record that would um, show an agreement between the Red Lake Nation and Beltrami County on use of Red Lake Detention Center and the use of the um, detention center in Beltrami County? I'm, I'm not aware of, of any sort of agreement in the record. I don't know if, just in a larger sense, the county has any sort of agreement with, with Red Lake. Um, Mr. Frank might have the answer to that question. Council, I, I don't want to bug you about this, but in, in my uh, materials, I, I thought there was an order from the district court that revoked and annulled Ms. Roy's probation on September 15th. Is that incorrect? I am not sure on that. I can check when I, I don't have the register of actions in front of me, but I don't believe that her probation was revoked until that November 20, I think it's 21st hearing in 2017. I know there was a warrant issued in September, but there was no hearing held until November. So her probation, well, in a sense, it wasn't revoked. She requested that that sentence be imposed and executed at that time. So I believe there is something actually in September, there was a, a probation report filed. There might've been a warrant filed, but her probation was not revoked until later. A question for you on the sentencing um, guidelines. In the comments, um, it talks about like what principles are important in determining jail credit. And it seems to me um, that those principles would apply regardless of where a per which, whether a person's in Minnesota or in another state or even in Germany. Um, do you agree with that or um, you know, I'm having trouble uh, in some ways about why we have a distinction between uh, intra and inter-jurisdictional uh, when, you know, the statutes set out certain things and the sentencing guidelines set out certain considerations. And I, I just don't really understand how the distinction grew up. To be honest, Your Honor, I'm not entirely sure how it grew up as well. If you sort of trace back the interstate rule or the inter-jurisdiction rule, it actually it starts with a case called Lindsay that involved two Minnesota sentences. And what they said was there was a consecutive sentence, he wanted credit, and the court said, mm, we'll let the Department of Corrections figure it out, we don't think you're gonna do that. Moving from there, we came to the case called State v. Bentley, which involved someone who escaped from prison, he was in North Dakota, and the court very briefly just said, we think that this issue is settled by Lindsay, even though again, Lindsay had nothing to do with another state, you don't get credit for that time in North Dakota. And it sort of grew then into Brown and Willis, and it doesn't seem as though it's really been touched since then. The whole foundation of the interstate rule seems sort of built on a house of cards that if you start going back, doesn't necessarily add up. I Some of the point though was whether you're in custody for the Minnesota offense or not. I thought that was the point of our rule and everything derives from that. So are you in custody 
because of a Minnesota offense or are you in custody for something else? That is what those later cases say in, in Brown and Willis, but those both rely on Bentley and Bentley looks at Lindsay, which had nothing well, to do with another state. if the point is, are you in custody because of a Minnesota offense? Let's just say that's the point of the rule. How does that apply here? If that would be the rule of are you in custody, I think that there still needs to be some sort of reconciliation with Wakefield. Because again, Wakefield is a federal case and not a well, state case. Well, but the point here that I'm trying to get at is your client was not in custody for a Minnesota offense. Your client was in custody for an offense committed on the Red Lake Reservation. That is true, but that still goes against the policy of fairness in awarding jail credit. The point of awarding credit is fairness. As this court noted, I believe it's in Gore, sort of moving away from the language of in connection with this offense and more towards the idea of fairness, more towards avoiding having these sentences become How is it fair? I mean, I mean, if the state of Minnesota has no ability to do anything um, on the Red Lake Reservation, how, how is it fair to give credit for time served on the reservation in connection with a reservation committed offense? I think that just begs the question though of how is it fair to Ms. Roy to not get credit when again, if I did the exact same thing that Ms. Roy did at the exact same time, if I did it with her, if we bought drugs together. The is that she's a member of the Red Lake Nation. I mean, she is one of their citizens. That's the difference. The difference is though, yes, she is, well, she's, I, I don't know if it's in the record that she's officially a member but she is an Indian for the purposes of their jurisdiction. But again, if I committed an offense with But her, you couldn't be. I mean, the Red Lake Nation has no jurisdiction over you. Correct. No matter where you commit the offense, on the reservation or off the reservation, you, you couldn't be in the same situation as your client. That's true, but I think just sort of moving more towards an, an equal protection argument, you want to look at where you are when you're asking for that credit. In this case, State v. Garcia, I think, really shed some light on this. In State v. Garcia, you had one juvenile who was designated EJJ. You had another who was certified as an adult. They were on different tracks. Different courts had jurisdiction over those two juveniles. But when the time came for the sentence to be imposed, this court said, you are both asking for the same thing. You are standing in front of the district court asking for the same thing. And so while Red Lake would never have jurisdiction over me, Red Lake would have jurisdiction over Ms. Roy, if Ms. Roy and I, again, did the same thing, when we came back to Minnesota, we would both be asking Minnesota for the same thing. We would both be asking for credit for the time we served on that offense before our probation was revoked. That's what we wanna look at when we're, we're looking at equal protection, or what we need to argue, rather, is that we did the same thing we committed the same acts, and now we are asking for the same thing from the court. Is, is there a distinction in terms of whether it's a Minnesota offense, whether we consider it a Minnesota offense between interstate and intra, or interjurisdictional and intrajurisdictional, intra in the sense that it seems in the Linehan case they make a distinction between it has to be the sole reason for interjurisdictional, but if it's intrajurisdictional, it can be for any reason. So even if you're, uh, there on a different uh, on a crime that's not related to the original crime. It's a different offense, but there's a hold placed on you. As an example, mm -hmm. at least part of the reason you're in jail is because of that hold, and so we allow that to be counted. So why wouldn't that apply to interjurisdictional cases as well? As long you know, wh why do you think that that limitation is there, or is that there? 
I think if I follow your question, you're saying if you're in custody in another state, but there's that Minnesota hold. That wouldn't count. If the only reason I think this is going to, to Justice Gilday's point was, if the only reason that you're in that other state is because of the Minnesota hold, I can't remember if it's Brown or Willis, but one of them broke it down. You no, I, I get that. Them. I get that. So my question is, and I'm sorry I wasn't as articulate as I should have been. My question is, if you're in a different state, this court seems to have said that um, if it's only there for the hold, then you can count it. But if you're there convicted of a crime in that state and there's also a hold, you can't count it. Whereas for intra-jurisdictional, in a different county, you're there on an offense committed in that county, there is, but a hold is placed on you just because the hold is there, even though the, the offense is in that county. If Ramsey County put a hold on a Carleton County person, even though the offense was committed in Carleton County, we would still say Ramsey County has some share in the reason that person is in jail. So that's different. There's different between the intrastate and the interstate in that context. So why, are you arguing that we should get rid of that distinction? And if there's any reason in an interstate circumstance, like they were convicted in Michigan of a particular crime, but Minnesota also put a hold on them, in that context we should consider that that's, there's a Minnesota offense related issue there and so we should count that jail time? I don't know that the question I'm putting in front of you is quite that broad. I certainly would not have any objection if that's what this court ruled. Um, to sort of don't do you it. have to get there because we have to overcome the case law that kind of says the opposite? No, because what we're saying is that Red Lake is a, a fundamentally different sovereign than a state. It is a different sovereign than North Dakota. It's a different sovereign than Illinois. It's a different type of sovereign, both A, in where it can be located, and B, who they have jurisdiction over. So because of that, because I can be prosecuted and Ms. Roy can be prosecuted by another state, but that's not the same with Red Lake, that is where the unfairness comes. Counsel, I'm confused by your equal protection argument. Sure. Um, and I want to refer you to pages 20 and 21 of your brief. Um, at the bottom of page 20, you say, here Roy was similarly situated to other Beltrami County probationers, but she was treated differently because other non-Indian probationers who committed the same conduct on the reservation would have received credit against their sentences. How could, but going to the Chief Justice's question, how could a non-Indian probationer who committed the same conduct on the reservation even be charged by Red Lake? What I'm saying is they would, it wouldn't be because they were charged by Red Lake. If, to use my example, me and Ms. Roy continue to commit this offense on Red Lake, Ms. Roy would be prosecuted and sentenced by Red Lake. I would be prosecuted and sentenced by the state of Minnesota. And because I would be prosecuted and sentenced by the state of Minnesota, I would be receiving that credit. Other non-Indian probationers in Beltrami County who committed that would be prosecuted by Minnesota and would get that credit. Ms. Roy is not getting that credit. That is where the differing treatment comes But you, you can't be charged with a Red Lake offense if you're not Indian. Correct. So... How could a non-Indian probationer commit the same conduct on the reservation and be charged by Red Lake? I'm not saying that they would be charged by Red Lake. I'm saying that when they stood in front of the district court later, Ms. Roy would be charged by Red Lake. I would be charged and sentenced by Minnesota. So it is different jurisdictions there. 
But later, when we are asking to have our probation revoked or our sentence executed on our 2011 drug case, and they're calculating up that credit, they're going to say, Mr. Donovan was in jail for this offense he committed on the Red Lake Reservation that he was prosecuted by Minnesota for. He is going to get that, I think it's total of 48 days of credit. But counsel, um, help me then understand, because on the Red Lake Reservation, you would agree that they have their own tribal code. Correct. And Minnesota cannot interfere with their tribal code. Correct. And so if Red Lake has a stiffer penalty or different charging, how does that help your argument? Because that seems to me that that would hurt your argument. I think it's the same way just sort of that we would examine a criminal history score from out-of-state convictions. You would maybe want to look at what are the elements of Red Lake or in Red Lake of the offense Ms. Roy committed. What's the sentence? Okay, that sort of matches up here. And so sort of matching it that way. So you should probably get that much credit. You should get credit for that time. So just sort of continuing with equal protection, I think that where the, the state's really missing the mark here is there is this classification. And, and be it racial or political, to be honest, as I was sort of prepping, I'm not sure that it necessarily matters here. Um, we're both saying that the same standard of review applies. We're both asking for that Minnesota rational basis. But when we're looking at the Minnesota rational basis test, what we're looking at is, is that classification meaningful to the purpose of the law? And I think the state saying the classification is purposeful to how Minnesota wants to respect and promote self-governments on Red Lake. But that is not the purpose of the laws that Ms. Roy is asking for credit under. She is asking for credit under the jail credit law. So with those laws, the, the purpose is fairness. It's not to promote Red Lake self-governance. And, and as much as they are concerned about sovereignty, I think we can all agree that we don't want to affect the sovereignty of Red Lake. But what Ms. Roy is asking for doesn't affect the sovereignty of Red Lake. Because it's credit on her Minnesota sentence. Correct. Yeah. What's the rule of law you want us to adopt here? I think the rule of law would be that unless a consecutive sentence is imposed, a defendant is entitled to credit against his or her Minnesota sentence for all time spent at the Red Lake Detention Center. So we're not making a very broad request to overwrite the interstate rule. What we're asking for is just in the specific circumstance, given the unique nature of Red Lake, that those defendants who can be charged and convicted and sentenced in Red Lake get that same credit against their Minnesota sentences. Would Red Lake uh, give a Minnesota defendant credit uh, for, uh, give a, a defendant, a Red Lake band or an Indian, I guess, sure. credit uh, on a Red Lake offense for jail time on a prior Minnesota offense? I don't know the answer to that, but I think that letting Red Lake make that decision is part of promoting their tribal self-governance. I'm just thinking, uh, we just went through some juvenile, some rule changes, and one of the analyses was, is there reciprocal treatment between two sovereign entities, basically? And that was a comfort, I think, in, in respecting the sovereignty of each. Mm -hmm. And so I, but if it's not in the record, it's not in the record. It's not in the record, and, and the sovereignty of other jurisdictions really doesn't seem to be a concern in any of the cases that, that talk about jail credit. Um, this court's not concerned about, you know, Illinois sovereignty by not giving credit or giving credit, not concerned about affecting the sovereignty, which is why Red Lake sovereignty wouldn't necessarily be affected by giving Ms. Roy credit. You're not belittling a sovereign by counting their sentence. I mean, in this case, we'd be treating her sentence the same as a federal government sentence. I 
I think at this point, unless, because my time is almost out, if the panel has no further questions, I would yield the rest of my time. Thank you, Council. Uh, uh, you have 10 minutes for rebuttal, Mr. Donovan. Mr. Frank. morning, may it please the court, Mr. Donovan. Today this court addresses for the first time whether or not a member of the Red Lake Nation will get credit for jail time, credit on her Minnesota state sentence for the jail time that she served in the Red Lake Nation dealing with Red Lake offenses in the summer of 2017. This court gets to revisit the uh, unique legal status of the Red Lake Nation and uh, the Red Lake Nation is an independent and sovereign uh, tribal community located in northern Minnesota. And when this court reviews the unique status of the Red Lake Nation, this court will also have to confront its own jurisdictional limits. And it's because of those jurisdictional limits that the state requests the court to affirm the decision of the Minnesota Court of Appeals as well as the district court before I uh, address uh, uh, whether or not the court appropriately applied the interjurisdictional rule, I think I would like to address a couple of Justice Chudich's. Uh, Chudich. Chudich, I, I apologize. That's okay, no problem. Um, uh, procedural questions. About the hold and that, because that's what yes. I was just going to ask you. Okay. Thank you, Justice Chudich. Um, the appellant was was convicted in November of 2011 for her third degree controlled substance sale of Percocet tablets along with a um, dri driving while impaired and a uh, uh, felony fleeing a peace officer in a motor vehicle. The court did stay in position of those sentences and on four separate occasions maintained the stay of imposition. And then in uh, the summer of 2017, um, the record is a little unclear in terms of when those offenses took place, quite frankly, what type of uh, uh, convictions and charges she faced. Record's unclear on that. But uh, in, uh, she was on supervised probation by the Minnesota Department of Corrections and on September 14th, 2017, the DOC agent filed a report requesting that the uh, uh, that the sentence, the stay of imposition be revoked on September 15th, Judge Ben Shoof issued uh, that order revoking uh, the stay. It's a little unclear, quite frankly, when, uh, uh, if Ms. Roy was in custody on September 15th. The DOC record, the only record we have, quite honestly, as it relates to the procedural posture in a Red Lake, indicates that she was set for sentencing on her child endangerment and um, drug possession offenses, which occurred within the interior boundaries of the Red Lake Nation, apparently in July of 2017, um, on October 4th. We do know this, that on, so, uh, that on November 12th, she was set for extradition back to Beltrami County to address her um, probation violation, which again was... It's a little unclear, Justice. Um, again, we don't know if Judge Ringhand or Judge Allery in the Red Lake Court um, stayed a certain portion. We do know that she served jail time. 
we believe we have those, those credits. But again, those credits don't come from a Red Lake Tribal Court transcript. They don't come from Red Lake Jail records. They come from a DOC report, secondhand information. I don't have the answer uh, uh, to, to that question, Judge Anderson. Uh, and I, I think uh, I, from the state standpoint, we're a little disappointed in the appellant's burden to show that she is entitled to these, re to, to these credits, quite honestly. So we don't know after the stay of imposition on September 15th if a hold or any communication was had with Red Lake. It's not in the record. The record is unclear, okay. Justice. So um, that is, and when she came back to Beltrami County on the 12th of November, she was appointed an attorney. And then on November 27th, she requested execution of uh, her sentence. And at that point, requested credit for the amount of time that she had in jail. Um, the first point that I would like to make regarding that procedural posture is the appellant's failure to uh, establish in the record that she is entitled to these credits. Again, we're relying on secondhand information in a DOC report, the defendant's own recollection when she came back to uh, Beltrami County. It is the defendant's burden to show that she is entitled to these credits and quite frankly, the state believes that. Counsel, uh, if, if you could, let's assume for a moment that, that she's met that burden, I, although I, we understand your point. Um, what's your response to um, uh, Mr. Donovan's uh, argument that we shouldn't treat um, the Red Lake Nation as another state, because in your brief, that's really how you approach this entire issue, it seems to me, that, that, that the Red Lake Nation is like Michigan. It's another state. It's not like another county. It's not like the, the offense was committed here in Ramsey County. And Mr. Donovan seems to be taking issue with that by saying, no, it's really that state-to-state -state comparison is really not appropriate. It's more like a state-federal uh, analysis and that that makes a difference in light of our, our decision in Wakefield. Help me with that. Certainly, Justice Hudson. I, um, I would respond to that uh, by saying the Red, Lakes, the Red Lake Nation's sovereignty doesn't come from federal law, doesn't come from state law. Red Lake sovereignty comes from their existence. Red Lake was an independent political community prior to 1789. Um, so uh, as, as, as it relates to, uh, should, should, should they be treated more like the federal government? No, they're not the federal government. Um, the uh, defense, are the uh, appellant's reliance on that Wakefield-Peterson um, federal uh, uh, approach is flawed for a couple of reasons. First of all, Justice Hudson, as you pointed out, um, the Peterson and Wakefield cases really don't address jail credits, putting on the uh, green visor and calculating jail credits based upon the information in front of you. It's about concurrent versus, uh, uh, concurrent versus consecutive sentencing. Peterson stands for the proposition that if the federal sentence is, uh, it comes after the state Senate, it is presumed consecutive unless the federal district court judge stated otherwise during the sentencing proceedings. Wakefield does stand for the proposition that in the federal sentencing context, if the state sentence comes afterwards, that the state sentence would be presumed concurrent, absent uh, information uh, otherwise. That deals with state and federal sentencing. It's quite unlike a tribal uh, sentence. 
What Judge Benshoof had to do was find the right fit. There's only three reservations in the United States that have independent jurisdiction like Red Lake. Red Lake is one of them. We don't have a lot of case law. It is a case of first, it is a case of first impression. But Judge Benshoof, when he, when, he when he imposed sentence on November 27, 2017, had no discretion as it relates to um, uh, giving, giving jail credits. He was left with the, the best tools that he had. And um, Red Lake has uh, two laws that exist. Tribal law, federal law, looks a lot like a state. Um, the other thing is this uh, court and Minnesota courts had no jurisdiction on, uh, on uh, Red Lake. Uh, we are, uh, Judge Benshoof was left with two positions uh, of law that he had to apply as it relates to uh, jail credits. The inter-jurisdictional rule and the intra-jurisdictional rule. And he had to take into account the Red Lake's, Red Lake's unique status in, in finding the right fit as it relates to jail credits. The people of Red Lake exercise self-government under their constitution and bylaws, separate and distinct from the state of Minnesota. Can I, can I ask though, uh, how do you respond to the Ms. Roy's position that by Minnesota courts making a determination for their own court system, what jail credit we're gonna count from other states, from the federal government, from the Red Lake band, how does that impinge on anybody else's sovereignty? Since we're only making the decision to how it affects a, Min a Minnesota court making a decision about how it affects a Minnesota sentence. Several ways, um, uh, Justice Thiessen. Uh, first of all, I think the most important is that when you read the Red Lake Tribal Code as it relates to consecutive sentences, section 411.01, and I refer to this in my brief, appears to create a broad um, definition of consecutive sentences for Red Lake tribal judges. Um, if this court imposes, uh, uh, gives, the, gives the jail credit, if, and we don't know in this case, but if the Red Lake tribal judge made that sentence in 2017 consecutive to the state uh, uh, sentence, then that would be interfering but there was, But there was no state sentence opposition. when they imposed when Red Lake imposed its sentence, there was no state sentence because it was a state imposition, right? I would, be, I, uh, Justice Thiessen, I would, I would disagree. The sentencing um, uh, came in 2011. It was a state of imposition, but it was a sentence nonetheless under Minnesota statute section 609.135, as well as the sentencing guidelines. The 2011 sentencing incident constituted a sentence, albeit at the stay of imposition, the Minnesota sentence. In other, in other. Simply because Red Lake chose to not uh, not appear doesn't mean that they waive their sovereignty. Doesn't I, I'm, mean that. Now I'm off. Now I'm on. Yeah, now I'm on. <laughs>
So I guess maybe now. Anderson, I can, <laughs> I can hear you loud and clear. So. Yeah, well, we don't, we, we do the dozens watching anyway. So, um, but my, my point is uh, they, they elected not to participate in this proceeding. This isn't, doesn't, I don't view that as any kind of waiver of sovereignty. They elected not to participate. What, what conclusions can we draw from that, if any? We don't know. Um, in terms of uh, whether or not Ms. Roy executed her sentence in Red Lake or whether there was a state sentence. We just don't know, Justice. But we certainly can conclude, at, at least this, that if there is any for remaining sentence to be served, they have declined uh, to provide us with that information. Well, is that the burden of the Red Lake Nation or is that the burden of the appellant um, under, under state law? Um, and I would argue, Justice Anderson, the, that it is Ms. Roy. The appellant here is only asking for credit. F the, the appellant is not asking for any credit relative to any sentence that was imposed. The appellant's only asking for a credit relative to the time that was served at, uh, on, on the Red Lake Reservation. Now, we have this issue about whether or not they've even failed to provide that. But I don't see where it would be their burden to give us lots of information about the Red Lake sentence. That's something different, it seems to me, than this question of jail sentence. Um, Justice, Ander Justice Anderson, I, um, I, I don't believe that it is up to the Red Lake Nation to provide that information. Again, from the state's perspective, they don't carry a burden in this case. Uh, neither does the state, but the appellant did. It's up, to the, it's up to the appellant to provide those records and provide answers to whether or not her Red Lake sentence was still uh, um, in, in effect or whether it was uh, closed in in tribal court. Council, go ahead. I had asked, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Mr. Donovan, the same question. It, does the record tell us if there is any agreement between Beltrami County and their detention center and the Red Lake Detention Center? It does not, uh, Justice McKeg. Um, the, uh, I, I can tell you, although it's not in the record, that there is not a correctional agreement between Beltrami County uh, law enforcement and uh, the Red Lake, the Red Lake Nation. And do you agree with me that Red Lake could certainly do that if they wanted to, and in fact have done something similar in in regards to child protection proceedings? They have an agreement with Beltrami County in regards to those cases. I can say that there is no written agreement as it relates to cooperation between law enforcement. There are understandings, and quite frankly, the Beltrami County Sheriff's Department and the Red Lake Police Department work very well together. Council, let's change the facts and assume that uh, Ms. Roy's conduct occurred at Fort Snelling, which is a federal enclave. Um, would she be entitled to credit for the time spent in federal custody on that uh, misdemeanor offense? Federal misdemeanor? I think it depends on whether or not the uh, misdemeanor offense uh, occurred before or after the state sentence. As assume the same facts as in this case. Well, um, in but instead of Red Lake, it's Fort Snelling. Um, I, and again, the state is going to take the position that the second sentence occurred in Red Lake. Mr. Donovan may, be, may, may disagree with me, but, we, uh, but uh, getting to your point, I would argue that Peterson applies because we're dealing with federal sentencing at this point, and as a result, it would be presumed consecutive. Council. Well, can I just um, follow oh. quickly? I, I thought that those cases didn't apply to jail credit times. Well, um, I, I would agree with Mr. Donovan that there's overlap. I would also agree with, with Justice Hudson that neither in Peterson nor in Wakefield was the issue 
calculating custody credits pursuant to Rule 27. But they're pretty close concept conceptually. They're pretty, they're pretty close conceptually, though, you would acknowledge. They're, yes, yes, I would, I would concede that point, but they are different, too. Um, Wakefield dealt with whether it was consecutive or concurrent sentencing. It wasn't determining jail credits between those two particular sentences, and I think that is an important distinction. Well, just, just so we're clear, it is the state's position that jail credit is not allowed in this case because it's Red Lake, but it would be allowed if it were the federal government. Am I right about that? Assuming we get past your first issue of the sequence and the timing. And uh, uh, Justice Lily Hogg, are we going back to your, uh, your scenario, your hypothetical? Yes. Okay, then no, it would be consecutive and she, and she wouldn't be entitled to the time if we're gonna follow Peterson. And again, we're talking about jail. Facts, we're talking about jail credit, not consecutive sentencing. Correct, uh, and and she would not be entitled to it again because of some of the overlap between consecutive sentencing and whether or not someone gets jail credit. Those credits would go to the first offense, the state uh, 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 offense, but the state, but the credits would not include the federal custody. Well, but now I'm a little confused. And forgive me. Maybe I don't understand your point. Um, I thought you were taking the position that in response to questions from Justice Hudson, that Red Lake, Red Lake is unique. It is. it is unique. It's not like it's not like the federal government. So now I've changed the facts to make it the federal government. And, and we're assuming the crime occurs at Fort Snelling instead of on Red Lake. How does that affect the jail credit analysis? Again, and if we are looking at the interplay between federal law and, and, and state law as it relates to sentencing, I would argue that Peterson would apply. And therefore, if we're talking about a consecutive sentence federally, and I think we would given these particular facts that one would not get jail credits because of the consecutive sentence. When would you get jail credit? Uh, for Red Lake? For federal, for under the under the little hog hypothetical, Justice Little Hog hypothetical, when when would you get credit for jail time um, on federal in a federal uh, uh, matter? Uh, when you go to start serving serving your your federal sentence, that's when you would start getting it, Justice Anderson. For the state sentence. The, for the for the for the for the sentence that occurred first in time, you'd have to expend you you would have to complete your state sentence prior to your federal credits. Even if it was concurrent, not if it was concurrent, but it was but if it was consecutive. Under Wakefield, if if we change Justice Lily Hogg's facts, you would get the credit then because the, the because the second sentence would be the state sentence. The difference here is that you're arguing that Red Lake was the second offense. I am. But, and the defense is arguing Red Lake was the first offense. So if the defense is right, then you get the credit. If you're right, then you don't get the credit under the, in the Fort Snelling example. In, only in the Fort Snelling example, but I do not concede that the Red Lake sentence is equivalent to a federal sentence. It's just not. We're talking about different sovereigns. Um, the Red Lake Nation is not the federal government, period. And as a result, the state would submit that the Wakefield and Peterson cases do not apply. So is your position that regardless of which sentence is first, you just never get credit for Red Lake? You don't get credit for Red Lake, just like, let's, let's, let's change the facts. But counsel, let me, let me give you a, a hypothetical. So what if um, 
let's let's say what if Ms. Roy had committed a crime in Beltrami County and then and then she fled to the reservation and um, Beltrami County asked the reservation to hold her. Would you would you say that under no circumstances can there be jail credit? There's nothing involved in the reservation there. And and maybe this goes to Justice McKaig's question about whether there's an arrangement between the two. But it seems like if you had a foreign country, say Mexico, and somebody somebody commits a crime in the United States, flees to Mexico, and we say to Mexico, please hold them, we're gonna extradite them. I mean, they should, if they're ultimately convicted in the United States of that crime, and there's no crime in Mexico, they should be getting jail credit, right? Absolutely, and that is a perfect example for the interjurisdictional rule, which Judge Benchup applied, he applied appropriately. It's a distinction that has, uh, that has application and has been applied by uh, the courts since the early early 1980s. And the reason you're saying that that interjurisdictional rule doesn't apply here, there are a number of reasons. I mean, first of all, you're saying the de defendant hasn't shown the facts that would enable it to apply, if it applies at all. And then it seems to me you're saying that you have a number of arguments that are hard to disentangle, but I thought I just heard you say it would never, there'd be never jail time for Red Lake people. In Justice Lily Hogg's uh, hypothetical, yes. Uh, um, but keep in mind, the interjurisdictional rule and the intrajurisdictional rule are still applicable. The, under the interjurisdictional rule, if a portion of time a defendant spent in jail in another state or jurisdiction outside of Minnesota was served in connection with that out-of-state charge, he's not entitled to credit for that time under his Minnesota sentence. That's Willis. Willis counsel, was charged counsel, with- let me say, I, I think one of the, the other things that's at work here is, if you look at our case law, we seem to have moved from a strict application of the inter-jurisdictional rule. And, and in some ways what Mr. Donovan is asking for, at least how I read his brief and from what he, he said here today, is if not a blending of those two rules for us to, to apply the intra-jurisdictional jurisprudence for everything, because he kept Go, going back to it's about fairness, it's about proportionality, uh, it's it, it's about all of those things, and you only but you only get to those factors as I read our case law when you're talking about the intra jurisdictional um, cases where it's county to county kind of thing. Um, but but by the same token, our case law does seem to have drifted a little a little bit towards that, and I'm wondering your thoughts about. Is there still this hard and fast distinction between inter sort of state to state, um, uh, you know, custody credit case law and intra jurisdictional case law? Justice Hudson, I believe there is. Um, as between state court sentences within Minnesota, a defendant is entitled to jail credit for all time spent in custody within the state from arrest through sentence through probation under the intra jurisdictional rule. Credits are determined by considering principles of fairness and equity with regard to whether or not the denial of credit would result in de facto consecutive sentences. 
The only way the intra-jurisdictional rule work and the only way that you can give jail credits under these circumstances is because this court has jurisdiction under each and every offense that the court is considering. If you don't have jurisdiction under a particular sentence because it occurs in Michigan, potentially federally, or on the Red Lake Reservation, you can't give them jail credit until they are solely in custody on that particular offense. Counsel, does the rule of law that you're proposing apply to the Boys Fort Reservation as well? If the Boys Fort Reservation has the same unique characteristics as Red Lake, and I know it shares some, Justice Lillyhog, I don't know if it, I just, I'm not as familiar with the Boys Fort Reservation as I am with the Red Lake Reservation. But Public Law 280 gives this court no jurisdiction over Ms. Roy's offenses. And as a result, you can't give her jail credit until she comes into custody and is solely in custody on the Beltrami County conviction. Counsel, do you agree that each one of these things are a case-by-case determination? I do, Justice Judge. I wonder, Counsel, you know, as I'm looking at Federal Law 280, it looks like it's just the Red Lake Reservation that's carved out in terms of Minnesota having no jurisdiction whatsoever. In terms of that, and that's why I couldn't answer Justice Lillyhog's question as it relates to Boys Fort, under Public Law 280, there is only one reservation carved out, and that is the Red Lake. And that's Red Lake. So, Counsel, so are we, does fairness and proportionality have nothing to do with the analysis here then? We're just, we're to put the blinders on. Is that what we're to do here in this instance? Madam Chief Justice, may I answer? Those due process considerations are always there, but they're not for this court. They're for the court with jurisdiction. That's why we have to apply those when we're dealing with considering jail credits for multiple state court sentences. The court has to take that in, has to take all of those principles into account to accurately calculate jail credits. But when a defendant is in custody in another jurisdiction, those principles are for that particular court, not this court, simply waiting for the defendant to come into custody solely on the Minnesota offense. Thank you, Counsel. Thank you. Mr. Donovan, you have 10 minutes for rebuttal. Excuse me. Just a few brief points. First, about Ms. Roy's burden to establish that she's entitled to jail credit. Not disputing that it is our burden, but that's part of why we're asking for a remand in this case, a remand to establish that. I think the reason that she didn't necessarily show all the details of these red leg sentences is because the first question posed to the district court was, can I get credit for this time at Red Lake? When the answer to that is no, there's no real reason for her to then go on and provide any details of, 
the precise dates that she would be in custody. So that's why we're asking for remand, similar to in Garcia when this court remanded to go actually calculate the dates that someone is entitled to that credit. Secondly, the idea that the Red Lake sentence was the second sentence, Ms. Roy received a stay of imposition. So when she was sentenced in Red Lake, there was no sentence for Red Lake to make it consecutive to. That was the only sentence she was serving at that time. And I think if, if we want to talk about respecting the sovereignty of Red Lake, this might be a circumstance where if she came back to Beltrami, she asked for credit, she brings the records, and there's something in there where the Red Lake judge said, you know, I would like this to be a consecutive sentence. I well, think that would you, be a time. What do you make of the state's argument that 609.135 says that even though the sentence was imposed, it still counts as a sentence? That's kind of their hook to make the, the uh, Minnesota sentence first. I disagree with that. It says that the court can stay execution, it can stay in position. I think that if Ms. Roy had received a stay of execution, we might be talking about something different. So counsel, are you, you're saying a stay of imposition is not a sentence? No, the, the court did not impose a sentence. It stayed in position of a sentence. So there was no sentence for Red Lake to make it consecutive to. I guess counsel, didn't they put the terms of the sentence, for example, 365 days, so many days stayed, and then staying, ultimately staying the imposition? Um, seems to be a recurring Just problem recently. Us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were some local sanctions, but there was no actual prison sentence imposed. They didn't tell her, and you know, if we come back, you're gonna get sent back for the 21 months. There was just some local time that she, I think she served. But and they, they had, but they had conditions that she had to maintain law-abiding ex- Yeah, there, there were certainly probation conditions. But that's part of the sentence. Those were the terms of her probation. Which are terms case. based on the sentence. Even granting that, the, the red light, that's nothing you can make a sentence consecutive to. Even if those were the terms of her sentence, Red Lake couldn't say, I want you to serve 180 days, but you can't say, but consecutive to the terms of your probation. There was no time that she had to sit to make it consecutive to. Counsel, uh, how would you respond to my Fort Snelling hypothetical? I would respond to your Fort Snelling hypothetical, surprisingly, or unsurprisingly, rather differently than the state would. I think that if Ms. Roy committed, if all the facts are the same except for the location, if she committed, that offense on Fort Snelling, if she had a federal sentence then imposed and then said, I wanna execute my Minnesota sentence, she would get credit for that time because that Minnesota sentence would be the second sentence imposed. So she would get credit unless the district court otherwise made it consecutive. And how do you respond to Mr. Frank's argument that Red Lake is different? It wasn't a, a reservation established by the federal government. It, it really predates the federal government. That is true. I think that that's been, been long uh, held with, with all the United States Supreme Court jurisprudence in Indian law. They are sui generis. They existed before the United States became a sovereign, but now they are a separate sovereign and they're a different sovereign. They're not the same as another state. They're closer to the federal government, but they're still not the same as the federal government. They're their own type of sovereign and at this point have a different type of jurisdiction. They have a jurisdiction over a limited set of people who in this case, aren't getting any credit for time served against Minnesota sentences, as opposed to other sovereigns where Ms. Roy would be treated the same as everyone else. Finally, uh, to Justice Hudson's point about 
are we sort of looking at a blended approach a little bit as jail credit law has moved on? I think to a degree the answer is yes. And I think the, the case that most supports this is State v. Johnson, where that wasn't dealing per se with two Minnesota sentences. That was dealing with someone who was uh, committed to the Minnesota Sex Offenders Program. And he was seeking credit for time he had served there when he was moved back to Moose Lake. Now, while credit The sovereign was, is still the same. The sovereign is still the same. I mean, just same. like Red Lake County versus Hennepin County, the sovereign is the same. It's the state of Minnesota. It is the same, but what Mr. Frank was saying was that Minnesota is a part, we're talking about two sentences. When they're two Minnesota sentences, they're the same, those you get credit. That's a different type of proceeding. And while he didn't get credit in Johnson, this court still looked at those policies of fairness ultimately decided that it didn't result in any sort of unfairness. It didn't result in a de facto consecutive sentence. What do you do with Linehan, though, uh, which was a case that, where the guy escaped to Michigan, and we essentially, especially if you read the Court of Appeals opinion, it seems like we held that it has to be the sole reason you're there as opposed to one reason you're being held in a different sovereign. I mean, doesn't that establish kind of in our case law that these are two different things, intra and inter-jurisdictional? It does, but again, just for another state. And again, I, I hate to keep repeating this, but the difference is in Linehan, when he went to Michigan, Michigan could prosecute him and Michigan could prosecute Ms. Roy. They would be the same. But when people go to Red Lake, they are going to be treated differently because Red Lake can't prosecute them both. And that's where the unfairness comes in. When you're not getting Count credit for Michigan, everyone is not getting that credit. Council, are, would we have to overrule our line of interstate cases to adopt to, to adopt your position? It seems like we would. You would not have to overrule it because again, uh, Red Lake is fundamentally different from states. So we'd have, to, we'd have to make that determination. We, we'd have to, to articulate that as a rule? Yes, we would actually be asking oh. for more of a new rule because again, no one is getting credit for those other states. Some people who commit crimes on Red Lake are going to get credit, and some people are not going to get credit. So the basis for treating Red Lake differently is because they can only prosecute Indians. Correct. It's that's, not well. That, that's kind of at the, when you boil it down. And the basis is the resulting unfairness of that, of those people not getting that credit. So you don't necessarily have to overrule the interstate rule. I, Again, I'm not opposed if that's what this court chooses to do, but because Red Lake is such a different sovereign than another state, that a different rule would apply to those defendants. Because again, if I do what Ms. Roy did, if I did the exact same thing and I was charged and sentenced, I would have gotten credit for that and Ms. Roy would not have. And that is fundamentally unfair to Ms. Roy. If the panel has no further questions, we would ask that you reverse the decisions of the Court of Appeals and District Court and remand for calculation of credit. Thank you, counsel. Thanks to both counsel for the help you provided to the court in this case. This matter is submitted. We'll issue an opinion in due course. We're in recess.